The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. The White House on Friday sent out a press release highlighting positive headlines about the federal economy. Confidence is surging, growth is accelerating, jobs are plentiful, the White House trumpeted, followed by headlines from the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and others. Colin Young is here to tell us why Massachusetts businesses aren't feeling quite as confident, perhaps, as the White House is. Hi, Colin. Hey, Sam. Uh, By most accounts, things are going pretty well for Massachusetts, and the economy is chugging right along with low unemployment. Uh, But one index that measures how Massachusetts employers feel about the economy took a big hit, about a 10% drop in June, leaving it lower than at this time in 2017. The Associated Industries of Massachusetts Business Confidence Index dropped to 61.3 in June, down from 66.6 in May. The scale here is 0 to 100, with 50 being neutral, so anything above 50 is in the, the positive confident territory. And the all-time high was 68.5, recorded in 1997 and again in 1998. The index now stands half a percentage point lower than it was a year ago. So all that growth and optimism the White House is promoting uh, as having happened over the last year or so isn't necessarily being seen or felt in the same way by companies here in Massachusetts. Uh, In the Massachusetts index, which specifically measures business conditions within the Bay State, fell 7.2 percentage points in June, down to 62.8. That's a whole uh, almost one and a half percentage points lower than it was in June 2017. Uh, And June's employer survey also found that businesses in Massachusetts are less confident about the next six months than they were a year ago. Oh, so just last month, Ames said that business confidence in Massachusetts was surging uh, due to gross domestic product growth, solid consumer and business spending. So what caused this sudden drop? What changed? Ames attributed June's sharp drop to tariffs and the potential for a trade war with China or traditional American trading partners. Uh, as well as rising raw materials costs and the recent approval uh, here on Beacon Hill of a new new paid family and medical leave program. Uh, the business back group referred to this uh, mix of issues as a perfect storm of state and local issues affecting businesses. And AIM also pointed to a recent drop in the Mass Insight Index of Consumer Confidence in Massachusetts. That number remains within the confident range, but fell from 134 to 121 between February and May. So that's an indication there that consumers here might also be feeling a little bit of what has businesses worried. Perfect storms. See how they weather it. See you, Colin. Thanks, Sam. Advocates have been celebrating Massachusetts' criminal justice reform law since its enactment in April. Now these reform advocates are taking a look at the state of Vermont. Katie Lannon, what's going on up there? Yeah, that's right, Sam. And in fact, they're actually still celebrating that April law. Some youth justice groups will be here at the State House next week for an event heralding reforms from that law, like juvenile expungement. But Vermont, at the end of May, went a step further than Massachusetts, becoming the first state in the country to raise their their juvenile court jurisdiction age. And it's actually family court over there. Um, to include young adults who are older than 18. Their new law will gradually include 18 and 19-year-olds into the juvenile system by 2022. 
There was some talk here of raising juvenile jurisdiction age, bumping it up one year to include 18-year-olds. And as part of that criminal justice now law, the Senate had added the higher age into their bill. It was dropped in uh, talks with the House, so it didn't make it into law. So should we expect that push to be renewed in the next legislative session here in the Bay State? Yeah, I think that's a a smart move. Um, Supporters who have made their case so far by pointing to brain development research and the greater rehabilitation opportunities available in the juvenile system, now they'll be able to point to Vermont's experiences and see what works there, what doesn't. They'll have data from that. And Massachusetts is a state that loves to tout its status as a leader. You know, we're not going to want to be behind the curve if it looks like a lot of other states are doing things. And it was 2013 here that Massachusetts brought 17-year-olds into the juvenile system, which had previously served youth 16 and under. Now, the new law has a task force that'll study including defendants up to age 21 in the juvenile system. And their report's due about a year from now, so that's something to stay tuned on. But let's not forget, too, that we're not done with criminal justice this session. The bill that the governor filed in April to address aspects of the new law that he he thought needed some technical tweaks or he just didn't like, that's still before the Judiciary Committee, along with his child predators bill. So that's a couple more potential items on the end of session to-do list. And uh, formal sessions end in how many days? Well, as of Friday, it's just 25 days. So the clock's really ticking on that. Gotcha. Thanks, Katie. Have a good weekend. You too, Sam. Massachusetts is all alone, the last state in the union without a fiscal 2019 budget. Matt Murphy's here with a look ahead at what's up next week on Beacon Hill. And Matt, are we likely to see any progress next week in in terms of the budget? Sam, thanks for having me. And that is certainly the hope. We've talked to some uh, leaders in both the House and Senate who are expecting or at least hoping uh, intently that that something can get done by at least midweek. They are already, by Monday, will be nine days uh, past the deadline, and this will be the latest a budget has ever gotten done in the decade-long DeLeo era in his leadership of the House. So certainly there's a desire to get things done. There's also the looming deadline of trying to get the governor a budget in enough time so that the governor can review it take action and give lawmakers enough time to respond to any vetoes that he might issue. And that is forefront on uh, legislators who are negotiating this budget's mind as they try to bring this thing to a resolution. And what effect is all this having on the other issues pending on Beacon Hill right now? Yeah, well, it's hard to quantify that exactly, but I think you heard the governor speak to that this week when he told reporters that he was concerned about the opportunity cost that these prolonged budget negotiations are having on the plethora of other priority bills uh, that are still getting bogged down as the House and Senate uh, try to work together to uh, wrap up formal sessions in just 25 days now. And this includes everything from wrapping up bills already in conference on things like short-term rentals and data breaches and civics education education to bills that we still even haven't seen yet. The governor's opioid abuse prevention bill comes to mind. There's also economic development legislation that the House is looking at, housing bills, and a whole bunch of other issues that keep cropping up, it seems. And there was some back and forth this week between the East and West Wings over why lawmakers are so behind on the budget. Um, Tell us about that. 
yeah, really with the holiday week providing a lull and the 4th of July falling right in the middle and not much activity going on, it sort of created this perfect atmosphere for, for some sniping going back and forth. And we were hearing from a house of sources telling us that the Senate lacked focus and that was the reason for the delay and that they were rife with uh, internal political struggles. Uh, we think perhaps over the immigration issue that is included in the budget and one of the the flashpoints there uh, that could potentially be holding this deal up. And on the other side, uh, senior Senate Democrats were talking about the inexperience of Ways and Means Chairman Jeff Sanchez, this being his first budget and kind of putting uh, the blame there and pointing a finger at the chairman who has control not only of the budget, but his committee uh, is where a, a number of priority pieces of legislation are still waiting action. Outside of the legislature, anything else happening next week of note? Well, I think a lot of eyes on Monday night will be on Washington and President Trump and who he picks for his Supreme Court nominee. Since uh, Justice Kennedy announced his pending retirement, opening up that key pivotal swing vote on the court, a lot of eyes in Massachusetts have been watching to see uh, what Trump's pick might say about the future of the court. And we've seen that lead to some momentum uh, here on Beacon Hill behind the a Senate bill, a bill that has already cleared the Senate, dubbed the Nasty Woman Act, which would uh, remove some antiquated or unenforced laws banning abortion in Massachusetts. Uh, in the House, we could see activity there to try and respond to this. The Speaker has suggested some interest, and uh, it's one of the bills to watch in the closing days. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. We'll see you Monday. Thanks, Sam. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.